right, hey, we got Mr. Barry Coleman again on another episode of Understanding the Nursing Game podcast. Hey, I got a very, very, very special guest with me today. But before I get to the special guest, I got the quote of today. All right. So uh, education is our passport to the future for tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. That's by the great uh, Malcolm X. And so um, actually, you know what? Today is uh, the day that he got killed a long time ago. I just realized that when I did the quote. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, February 21st, sure it is. He died on a Sunday. And uh, I'm just not thinking about it. As a matter of fact, this podcast is a year old today. So uh, everything worked out as they supposed to. But yes, uh, the quote of the day to me that it stems well with today, this uh, young fellow right here, he say he old, but I don't believe he look, he look fairly young like me. Hey, he said he's 51, hey, but I, I, I think he's I think he's young. <laughs> but uh he 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 has uh, a list of accomplishments that um I, I can't name them all. And guess what? We ain't gonna waste no time, no time trying to. But uh yes, yeah, so I got Mr. Richard Kimbrough with me today. How you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Mr. Coleman. I appreciate you having me. All right, all right. Well, hey, I'm gonna start this show off like I do everybody else. Tell everybody where you're from. All right, so I'm uh, well, I'm, I live in Clayton, California, uh, but uh, born and raised in Santa Cruz, and then uh, most of my family from Charlotte, North Carolina. I migrated from Santa Cruz, uh, made my way uh, to the East Bay. Um, I, I'm here in Clayton, California, uh, but uh, born and raised in Santa Cruz. Now, Santa Cruz, now I have heard that. You know, it's a lot of surfers there, and you know, uh, tell me, tell me the climate or the people that that come from Santa Cruz. You got two types. You got the hippies with patchouli oil. <laughs> that's the other one. That's, that's right. And the other, and the other type is just the more of a just a laid back. Let us not focus on yesterday. Let us not focus on tomorrow, but let us just understand what's in front of us today. And I think a lot of people you know, forget what's in front of them. And I think that's one thing I miss about Santa Cruz, about uh, just enjoying the day for the day. Can't worry about yesterday. I ain't worrying about tomorrow, but let me just, uh, let me just enjoy today. And I think uh, that's where I'm from. Um, And uh, I don't see a lot of it here in the East Bay. I don't see a lot of plate. I think there's probably some of it, but I actually just took my wife and I uh, take my kids. I'm married. I got a one-year-old and I got a four-year-old. Uh, we just actually got back from Monterey today. Uh, took a little day trip down there. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I miss the beach. I miss the flip-flops. I miss the t-shirt and jeans. And, uh, they don't get caught up on the, uh, the rim size and the, the car and how the stereo is. Does your, does your bicycle have a single speed? Can you hold a surfboard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the most beautiful scenes are on Highway One. Yep. It just, it just—if you get on Highway One and just ride down—I did that a couple of times. But one particular day, I did on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, by 12, 1 o'clock. I got the road. I went down Pacifico and then got to um, Hair Moon Bay, and um, you know, uh, Monterey. I'd have been a Camille a couple times. Now, man, it's just—it's beautiful, man. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yes. good egg and, and, and good. Uh, there's some good crawfish. There's some good stuff out there. I got some uh, friends. You know, I was, uh, I used to take them back to Santa Cruz, the San Luis Valley River. He said, my buddy Clincy, when I got out of the military, uh, we were getting ready to discharge. And Clincy's from Alabama, by the way. 
And uh, he came out there and said, hey, y'all got some crawfish. And I said, he said, well, let me go to a river. And he said, I said, I don't know about crawfish, Clint. Clint said, well, let me teach you something. I said, let's get a five-gallon bucket, get some bacon, we'll get some strings. We caught some crawfish. And uh, we went out there for about a day. We caught two five-gallon buckets of crawfish. And then he taught me the first time on how to prep the crawfish. And uh, we had right. two sinks. And he put the crawfish in one sink and got the salt. He let it burp, get all the talks out. He did another one. He boiled them. And he just laid over the whole table with some butter and some corn and some other stuff. He made a bunch of crawfish. So I learned right. how, to, how to crawfish hunt in Santa Cruz because you can still crawfish in Santa Cruz. Wow. I'm going to be honest with you. In, in uh, Mobile, they always uh, will go to the seafood market and uh, they are always uh, cooking for you and uh, things like that. And, and you can't buy them frozen or whatever the case is, or fresh, fresh off of the boat or whatever. But uh, most time, I always buy them boiled. So just to hear somebody going through the process, I wouldn't mind learning it myself. I mean, especially being out there on the West Coast, can't nobody make it like down south. I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I watched them. I couldn't believe it. Little things. He, he cooked them up. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, hey, man, let's go ahead and get into it, man. Uh, what got you into nursing? You know, it's interesting. Um, so I had, uh, like I told you before, Barry, pretty the show, you know, I, I had started as a as a paramedic early on and come from a great background. Um, parents passed away when I was young. I was unmoved, since I've been 18. Don't have any family out here. Um, only North Carolina. And um you know, after my uh, parents had passed, I took a trip back to our cattle ranch, North Carolina, and, you know, very just different, you know, born and raised in Santa Cruz and got back to the farm and, you know, grandpa kind of, we kind of talked a little bit and he'd get on that right hill, boy, so get on down hill, boy, get on down, you know, down, you know, want to cook some stuff. I'm like, grandpa, I can't, I said, I can't, I can't hear you. And uh, <laughs> he'd have no teeth on, he drinks a little whiskey in his plastic cup and, you know, um, in a fairly racist um, area back then where, you know, specifically where I'm at. Right. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, they mean, I can't, I can't, I don't understand it. Um, so therefore I decided just to get a plane ticket out, came back. I had South Kurt, you know, a bunch of friends and kind of couch surfed and did a couple of things. And, um, and I got in trouble, got in trouble for assault and battery. Um, it was fighting and I had some work hours, had a hundred hours of work hours to do. And I was uh, fortunate to do work hours at the Ben Loman Volunteer Fire Department. And I had to wash toilets, uh, scrub, you know, things, mow lawns, wash engines, that sort of thing. And the assistant chief, Wayne Drager, um, God rest his soul. You know, I was done 100 hours. He said, hey, Rich, what are you going to do? What are you going to do it yourself? And no, I had a couple hundred bucks in my pocket. And he said, hey, you know, um, why did you consider being a volunteer fireman? Didn't know anything about it. He says, in order to do so, you got to go to EMT school. And I said, okay. I said, I don't know that about, but I ain't got no money. He said, okay, no, no big deal. I'm going to give you a room upstairs in the volunteer firehouse. You're going to sign a contract with me. You're going to check with me daily. We'll go to EMT school. So I did that. Fast forward. Um, a couple years later, um, I decided to go to paramedic school. Um, I was still a volunteer fireman. Um, I was working ED tech at Dominica Hospital. I decided to go to paramedic school. And I went to paramedic school um, before I was 21 years old. Hell, I'm old, 51, right? Um, and, and I started working as a paramedic for many years. And then I actually uh, went off to the military, um, spent some time in the Coast Guard, spent 10 years in the Air Force. I discharged out, um, I think, in 2010. 
And I got a job as a flight paramedic. Uh, I was actually flying a helicopter out of Sonora, California with PHI. And my flight partner was a nurse. Um, and she finally said, what are you doing? Your skills are outside of this. Have you ever thought about going to nursing? And, um, and so therefore, um, I just, I went on to nursing, um, with nursing school in 2010. I've been a emergency nurse now for God, you know, almost 14 years. And the, the nursing profession, I've been able to enjoy both bedside nursing, charge nursing, um, director of nursing, director, you know, emergency department, um, and now forced to be a director of clinical practice. And underneath my umbrella, I have um, ED, nephrology, pulmonology, multiple different service areas. Um, and I've been fortunate. Um, and so that's how really I got into nursing was really just a, a grace, more of a grace of God and people open up doors. Um, and, you know, I've been more learning how to pay it forward to people um, that is less portion as me. And I, I'm, you know, I didn't come from money and I, I didn't come from affluent. I didn't come from anything. Uh, I came from a couple of bucks in my pocket. Um, and then I'll pause there before our next question is, it's interesting. I think uh, true nursing calls you, you don't call that. And I think most people don't understand when they have a nursing license, you're blessed and you have a power to change, you have power to change in the moment. And I think some people get a nursing for different reasons. I sometimes think of a triangle. I think of money on one side, I think schedule on the other side, and I think purpose is the base bottom. But oftentimes I wonder, are we all firing on those three cylinders at the same time? And did we just get into schedule and money that oftentimes bears itself, you know, into the nursing practice? And so for me, you know, that's how I really just got in nursing. Nursing, nursing found me. I didn't find nursing. I agree with you. Um... I'm just going to speak on me for a second. Um, my dad, back in 2006, December, I was at work. I used to work as a, a packaging helper at a uh, newspaper company. And uh, my mom called me one day, hey, you need to come to the hospital um, when you get out for work. And I got over there and come to find out my dad had blood clots in his, in his lungs and in his legs. And so um, long story short, he had surgery or whatever, heart surgery. and um. My goodness, he stayed in the hospital, I know, at least two, three weeks. And um, I remember going up there in the ICU, seeing him, and they still had the tube down his throat because he was just uh, that sick. And um, I just remember seeing the nurses at that time. Uh, I will remember seeing the nurses uh, take care of my dad. At that time, I wanted to be a pharmacist. And so I was in, uh, I was doing the pre-reals to be a pharmacist, um, to get into pharmacy school. And uh, lo and behold, I said, you know what? I thought came to my mind and said, hey, man, if I could train my major to anything else, I think I probably could be a nurse. And they were just based off of just seeing the impact that it was having on my dad. And uh, every time, um, you know, whenever he speak about it, he always speak about the uh, the nurses. I don't know if it because they were taking good care of him or either he liked the one of them or uh, what the case was. But um, he always uh, used to bring them up. And so I, I kind of can relate to how you saying, you know, nurse kind of call you. You just have those moments in life to where things just stick out to you and you always remember. And so um, I remember you saying somebody you had joined the military, man. You said you did X amount of years in the Coast Guard and then another uh, X amount of years in the Air Force. Most times you don't hear people switching branches like that. Uh, tell me the benefits of being in the military. I'll tell you one. Is, um, so how I got in the Coast Guard, I, was, uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz for a semester. 
and I was already paramedic. And they land that beautiful dolphin helicopter. And they put that on that grass. She's shiny. Boy, she's real shiny. You know, I was just, uh, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, I'm like, I can't go through this stuff. I, I'm not going to go through any more classes. I right. came up and asked him, I said, how do I do this? And I said, well, you got to enlist. So there you go. I'm off to Cape May, New Jersey, uh, Victor 150. Uh, went on a, a corpsman for the, the Coast Guard for four years. And so when I went from active duty to an active reserve, we declared war because of 9-11. And uh, at that time, we're about another year and a half, almost two years into it. And the Coast Guard actually falls under the Department of Navy and declaration of war. And so at that time, uh, I already had had contacts uh, with Moffett Field Air Force and specifically a, a, a lieutenant colonel by the name of Dr. Gross. And I know Dr. Gross because I had taught some paramedic courses with him and uh, he had taught on the military side. He was leveraging our paramedic school to help train the pararescue squadron, the PJs. And he said, hey, I got an opportunity for you. I don't know if I can make it swing. He says, but how about if I get you a change of branch of service? You come with me to the 131st Rescue to the Pararescue Squadron, the PJ unit, and you help me train the Special Forces PJs on how to manage not only blunt or penetrating trauma, but the medical emergencies that they don't see often in war. And so we got that signed uh, there, and I transferred to the 134 Rescue Wing at Moffett Field, which is the Pararescue Squadron, PJ unit. And I was solely tasked to help support these um, SFPJs to continue their medical training. So when they deployed into time of war, not only they could handle the 20 and 24-year-old blunt penetrating trauma, which they're very good at, but when we knocked down all those Afghanistan you know, resources, hospitals, everything else, we actually had a different theater of war, and that was actually providing civilian service, which means that we stood up their hospitals. And so that's why I switched over. And I spent another 10 years uh, in the PJ unit, in the 131st, and that's what I did for them. Uh, and that's how I, I finally, and I finally discharged out in uh, 2010, had enough time in. And I said, hey, it's time to go. I can't go back and forth between activated, non-activated. And so when they uh, said, hey, do you want to sign your paperwork? I'm like, I'm going to sign my paperwork. I'm going to move on. And this chapter's over. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. All right. So, um, uh... Also earlier, I heard that you, uh, you know, you was on the flight one time, a uh, helicopter, and uh, someone came to you and said, "Hey, look like your skills are exceptional, and uh, why not? Why not? You know, you become a nurse." So um, when you decided to become a nurse, you know, tell me some of the the struggles or the hurdles that you had to overcome from that moment of you deciding to be a nurse to graduating and getting your license. Yeah. Um. You know, I think one, I will back up. Uh, you also asked me uh, 20 questions, the benefits of military. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Let Go me ahead. make sure I'm, I'm going to transition that one to make sure I answer this to this. Uh, one is um, in terms of, you know, VA, housing, home loan, and all of my school. Uh, I, I, they paid for my bachelor's, my master's. I have a doctorate. I'm a doctor nursing, so I have a DMP. Uh, I finished my doctorate in 2018. They've uh, funded everything through. Um, and so I was fortunate. That's probably about $150,000 of education between my undergrad and graduate and my doctorate uh, as, a, as advanced practice nurse. They funded everything. And so and to include uh, initial VA loan, you know, for my family. And so from a benefit perspective, I have zero home loan, you know, zero down payment. Right. And so now flying. 
because um, I had already been a paramedic for many years. And in the military, um, as a corpsman, you're already advanced, right? You already know sutures. You can spin your labs. You can shoot your own films. You're, I was an independent duty corpsman, which means that I could you know, order medications as long as I'm in a 200 foot or a call between my flight surgeon, all those things were at mine, right? I didn't have to have a PA. I don't have an MP. I don't have a doc, right? And so when I started flying um, private in the EMS world, um, there was a whole lot of different skill set between my nurse, but the pay was dramatically different. Make sense? Right. And so right. we had intubated so we could, you know, we could RSI our own patients. We could cry. We could decompress. You know, all those things were in the scope of practice between myself, my nurse partner, yet the money was completely different. And so super cool. Her name was Diane Lowry. And she finally said, she goes, Hey, are you tired of getting paid that? She goes, why don't you just go to nursing school, be done with this? And she goes, cause I'm so tired of looking at you. And sometimes she'd ask me, she'd go, so what, what should we do? And she goes, normally I don't ask that. She goes, I normally ask my nurse partner. She goes, so I feel bad. Um, and so she pushed me on and interesting enough, I never went, um, I was able to challenge. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, I don't know if you recall, probably you probably mobile at this time, but there's a big time in nursing shortage. So the governor of California, he had an initial program, which is only, he only, it only lasted two years where an LVN or paramedic that had 4,000 clinical hours and had a degree could basically challenge first and second semester. So I never had first and second. I got dropped in third semester, Napa Valley College. Third semester, I took like a, hey, go go sim and play with a Foley, play with OG, play with NG, play with IN, play sub-Q, play B, and go, by the way, go to third semester. Wow. So I challenged it when I'm in the third semester. I'm like, what do you want to do? What? what? You do a bed bath? Why don't you just, what? A bed bath? What? We ain't doing that. That's dumb. What do you mean you do this? What? I'm sorry, you want to tear your IV tape this way? Yeah, okay. What do you mean we got to get doctor's order? That chin is to the chest. They're blue. And y'all don't want to put a non-rebreather on them. We'll probably need to bag them a little bit. Let's get a line in. Let's put a little med and get the doctor's order. So that was my biggest challenge is trying to figure out, you know, it makes sense. And so yeah. I used to tell my priest every time, that is the best way I've ever seen a tape porn. You did, <laughs> you did the exact same. You're magical. The way you hit the code blue button, just sat there and watched that person tune blue. You're magical. God bless you. God bless oh you. my goodness! <laughs> Sounds sound like you uh, you had to learn the rules and regulations of being a civilian nurse, huh? Ooh, oof, Par- oof, painful, painful. I got caught one time. I put a patient in a chair, and I I got him out of bed. You know, gentleman, and you know, yeah, socially, economically challenged. You know, morbidly obese, uh, poor compliance, all the things we typically see right they want me to give him a bed bath but i know we can ambulate he's just lazy so i put him in a chair and i will but i open up the door and i kind of push him off to the side of the bathroom we gonna take a shower here i'm like get your legs in i'm gonna shower you and i'm gonna splash water and you can wipe yourself with a washcloth that chargers came in <laughs> she, she she blew up my sister said hey you know um what are you doing that is not how we do a bed bath i'm like He's faking it. I saw him stand three times. He got on his phone and looked out the window. We going in the bathroom. We are not doing a bed bath. So not only do I have to learn civilian life, but at the end of the day, I also have to learn some risk, right? So from a pre-hospital care environment, fall risk, don't know how well he mobilized, you know, all those kind of pieces that 
probably some folks smarter than me at that time, probably had some insight. Um, so that was the probably biggest challenge trying to learn the hospital piece very slow. Let me just, let me just type on this computer and forget you have a person in the room, a human, and you spend seven hours charging on a computer and only one hour talking to them. And how might we just make it the other way? Yeah, I agree with you. Charting, charting takes up a lot of time. And to be honest, it was the saying in nursing: if you didn't chart it, it didn't happen. You didn't do it. Uh, hey, it, it's it's a hard truth that people have to learn. I had to learn it. So yeah, hey, uh, I, I understand exactly what you mean when it comes to that. I get tired of charting. Yeah, but can you imagine just charting the bedside next to the patient when you talk to them? Why do you have to go back? Why are there computers in a room? If we don't use them, why do we keep making these arguments that I can't charter up a conversation in front of them? But quite frankly, the Senate bill says the patient has the right to the whole chart. So what is it? Is it we cluster our care? Is it we think that we're, we shouldn't? Do we not have breaks in our day that we want to come sit down and get our iPhone and chart at the same time? You know, what is it? I'm not known by what is, what, what is it from a humanistic compassion perspective? You know, what is it? And hence why we don't get paid the same way with docs and hence why we don't build because nurses come with the room rate. We don't know, we don't know what the nurse charge should be. We don't know what their value is because the little things like that moving on. So we come with the room rate. So we don't know what it is. Hence why Alabama gets paid from Martinez. Martinez is different. John Muir and John Muir is Kaiser because we come with the room rate. And I think that I say that because that's one piece of why I believe that to be true. What is it about it? Why do we go back to a table and sit there and chart? And we do this. I go like this. I go like this. I go, like this. I go FaceTime. I go here. And then I go moan. I go yell my charge. I don't have time. And I go, why are you bothering me? And then we forget Mr. Jones's roommate. And then guess what? When the bell goes off, we say, can we get the tech to go check him out? I'm charting. Yep. Right? That's exactly we, buy that all, we buy that as a philosophy. We take that to be true. And we can we continue to pay that forward to those young folks that are still into nursing. That is such a such a problem. It is, and um, I think a lot of it just people uh, they get comfortable at the job, they get comfortable, and then um, a lot of times um, people like to delegate instead of uh, going in there and and seeing the patient. So uh, it's a lot. I see a lot of delegation whenever I do go on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, just and I used to work as a as a med surge nurse as well. I still work as a I work as a post surgical nurse at uh, John Muir, but it's just um you you see a lot of delegation. Like I don't know the nursing in Alabama is totally different from California. It, it's a totally different mindset, a totally different nurse from from out there from the two places. Yeah, well, welcome to CNA. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Hey, that, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's, it's, it's both. It's a blessing to protect and it's a curse in terms of nursing practice. Right. It's two different right. things. We actually create a worse nurse, but they're businesses. CNA is a business. Hospitals are business. CNA's number one business is FDE. I respect it. I'm a shop steward, been a shop steward. I'm on the other side of the house. But let's be honest, it's, it's a blessing uh, from a racial perspective, but boy, it sure did water down a nurse. I agree with you. Tell everybody your first nursing job. Well, what did you Ooh. do? And, uh, you know, first nursing job, North Bay Trauma Center. 
I was in Fairfield, California, North Bay. North in North Bay. First first nursing job, ED. I was a ED ICU trained out of new grad. I did a dual uh, new grad, ICU and ED both. Um, and chose to go ED, but always go upstairs and downstairs. Uh, but yeah, that was North Bay. North Bay, Fairfield, California, trauma. Trauma two, whole day long. Uh, worked 11A, 11P. Oftentimes got held over and that was my first job as a nurse. Um, and then I transferred out of there to take a charge nurse at a, another facility in Walnut Creek when I transferred out of North Bay. That was my first job. I knew grad there, uh, spent some time with them, and then uh, left after a couple of years. Okay. Okay, then. Did you ever get that traveling book? No, absolutely not. Nope. Because mm. I already been military. Well, I traveled. Right. You're right. You're right about that. <laughs> I'm hard traveling. <laughs> okay. Now, you went from the, uh, I heard that you uh, got your DNP. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to hear the reason why you wanted to go from a BSN and uh, all the way up to a DNP. What was the what was the moment that that uh, that you realized? You know what? I, I think I can I, I can be a DNP and, and try to make some change that way. You know, it's a great point. I thought um, I thought I wanted to solely be advanced practitioners, whether it be ACNP, FNP, CNS. Never what really wanted to go into CRNA. I, I was comfortable not just gassing people, put them down and move on. Right. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a proceduralist, right. Uh, yeah. But cause I've been a proceduralist for how many years between the medic being able to intubate, IV, IO, blah, 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 right. RSI my own patient. So for me, when I got to nursing doing, you know, advanced area procedures and things like that, I was already, I already spent half my life doing it. So that did, but what I felt was, is how might I help engage those with me and before me, help me help them understand what does it look like, true process of, you know, improvement? What does it look like to truly understand that change is is growth and optional and nothing works when it's stale? Do we really understand about clinical pathways and guidelines? How do we really understand our middle-level providers or providers? How do we connect a patient in the center and then understand all of our SPs all of our protocols and policies, our workflows must work around the patient, but it can't be the opposite. You can't have a patient out here and us in the center. And then lastly, I would say to help engage nurses to understand the why we do things, not so much of the hows and whats. So much time we spend on the hows and whats, but we forget about the why. So therefore, um, I felt important to advance my education. And really to go just do a lot of lit search and just a lot of just, you know, really working with a more of a broader group of people, not just in California. I was forcing my DMP. My cohort was, you know, 100 people across, you know, whole nation. And so I experienced uh, from Stony Brook, from Philadelphia to Georgia to LA, different trauma centers, all these things. But at the end of the day, everybody's experienced the same thing. How do we continue to build a high quality, high safety, efficient at a lower cost? And how do we get people to understand the why? Um, and so therefore, then that really worked on and leaned towards my doctorate because my doctorate was really figuring out really inclusive, exclusive diversity in healthcare. My actual dissertation was about implicit, implicit bias in the emergency department. Um, and, and, and what I found was in emergency department, 
even based on a genomic product in 2006, when you really figure out genes really should probably gauge everything in terms of pharmacological intervention. You know, how often do we walk into a room, I got an Afro-American, I got a Japanese, I got an, you know, American Indian, and I got this other white guy. Um, but how do we walk in those rooms, understanding the things we do, the things we order, the things we talk about, individually impact them differently instead of walking this blanket statement? So I, that was my whole dissertation. Uh, and it was interesting because um, the amount of implicit and explicit bias in healthcare is real. My whole thing is about healthcare inclusion. My whole goal is how do we breed healthcare everywhere? Healthcare is a business, but it shouldn't be. It is a business. Right. And so the, so the reason I went to my, my DNP, what's excited me about that one is, you know, to be able to have that type of conversation with your peers, with providers, with leaders, oftentimes you need to come to the table and go through that milestone. Um, that was my, that was my decision. And I'm still working on some postdoctorate work now. So that's why I really kind of transitioned on was trying to figure out, do I really want to just, you know, advance practitioners? No, I'm actually now more interested in system design. I'm much better served today, whether I'm an ICU, one to two, two to one, or an ED with four patients, I'm better helping support 50 patients, 100 patients, 200 patients, and engaging leaders at the top level to be able to understand that. Work with unions, work with leaders, work with budget people, but with the patient in the center. Right. That's what I'm motivated about today. Gotcha. Okay, then I was uh, I was in uh, my master's program and I one of the semesters I had to write like a paper on, you know, um, racial biases uh, within the healthcare system. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't, I, I kind of knew, but I was very ignorant. And then once I started doing like studies, reading studies on it and stuff like that, and then a lot of times um, if the uh, healthcare provider was the same uh, race as the patient. Seemed like they had a better overlapping, or uh, <laughs> more education was uh, more education was uh, done, and then it was a better outcome for the patient. So uh, I, I was just amazed to see that. And most times, let's just be honest, when it comes to nursing, most people in the uh, what it is a uh, general population think of a white white female, rightly so. That just throughout history, but now it seems like it's more males getting into the field. And yeah. then now on days it's uh starting to be a bigger minority uh pool of nurses now. And so um with all that being said, you know, hopefully they can translate into better outcomes. All right, so um going forward, five years, we're gonna try to go ahead and get you on out of here. Five years mm-hmm. from now, what what do you see yourself doing, man? What's what's your goal? You seem like a guy that always pivot within, you know, uh it's amount of years. Uh, what what do you see yourself doing in about five years? I think um, there's some milestones. There's some toll gates to get to five years. Um, mm-hmm. And the first toll gate is to help support my current system in place to get out of the pandemic mindset. One is no, we're no longer victims. And um, the pandemic has taught us three things. We have breaks in the healthcare system. We have breaks in our PPE, right? And we have break in our knowledge. And quite frankly, how resilient we are. Did we ever think we would not be a nurse to have this thing happen? Now, what happened to influenza? What happened to all these things? Now, if you're like, wait a minute, I can't take my days off, but I make 150 a year. What? I didn't get in for this stuff. So, so I mentioned taking back a step. 
and go, why did we ever, why did we even get into this privileged role? It wasn't just for the money. And if it was for the money, I look forward to you getting out. I'm matter of fact, I'm gonna help you get out. Matter of fact, I'm gonna write and get you out of here. So that's the first thing is milestone is trying to figure out how do we change our mindset to get past the pandemic? Because we're not resilient. We've already, we've already taught ourselves we're not resilient. Most people come into work today, uh, whether pandemic or not, they're burned out, they put the car in park, they're mad, mad at this, they walk in for eight hours and they just mad before they put their scrubs on. And then they have the audacity to say, I'm burned out at work. Well, you aren't even resilient enough to get to work. Your decision-making capability was already reduced because you already mentally, you taxed out before. So I can't even trust your prefrontal cortex or decision-making because you're so, you're so defensive. You're in this limbic reptile basic angle and you can't even think. So I don't even want to have a conversation with you because it's just a pissing match. So the first thing is get us out of that. One, be a part of that. The second milestone is to figure out like, what are the next steps to look like? Knowing that we can't do the same way. We can't run the same operations. We can't run the same hospitals. We can't continue to run the same risk. We can't have the same complacency. Uh, half my role is quality and risk as a director of clinical practice of nursing. I have all, I have PAs, NPs, nurses, LVNs, techs under me between EDs, nephrology, poems, sleep lab, adult family medicine. My governance is thick. And try to get folks to no longer drift and be okay with it. Human nature, second law, is entropy, is decay. And there's this thing called procedural drift, just like your universal timeout, universal protocol. You miss one time counting a sponge. You don't do a, a pre, a intra, post. You got problems, yeah? It's no different. The problem is, when you look at the ICU, all these other places, because they don't have instant consequences of those actions, those became a new pattern and norm. Procedural drift with no consequences becomes a new pattern, right? We mentally shortcut. That's where our minds do. We mentally shortcut. So the second piece of that is, is how can I be part of to help people recognize that with a safety stop and before they do it? And then at the fifth year is to go back and recycle through and do we have sustainment in that system to be able to do that? So right, it's easy to make a fix, easy to make a change, but what's your sustainment plan? So at the five-year mark, um, I will consider myself 56 years old. I will continue to teach. I teach paramedics. Uh, I teach on Thursdays. I lecture. I've been with uh, CCSF College, I think seven years now. I teach OB, pediatrics one semester, cardiology, rest for the next, and uh, I'll continue being adjunct uh, professor there. But year five is uh, to raise the level. I can't be the only safety champion. You know, can you imagine if you had five problem solvers or a thousand? Could you imagine if everybody was a safety champion? And did we have enough speak up culture to stop the line and say something's wrong? I hope that because as I get older, shit, I'm going to start having to use my insurance. And I don't really want to go to douchebag per doctor. I ain't just nurse. I got some docs that are just, you got to be out of your mind. Just want to stay at home. La, la. So I'm going to have to use my health care. My family's going to have to use my health care. I don't want to see those anymore. We're better than that. We are better than that as a society. Change agent. Five-year, looking at patient safety and quality, elevate nursing practice, the join me back to nursing. We got to understand, we, hey, we're a big deal. You may think we come with a new room rate. Nurses may think we don't count. Are you kidding me? We're the 
most hours spent on a patient in any single hospital floor that isn't a provider. At the same time, we have to understand our patient care techs, our CNA, our vitamin services, our UAs, they all count as a team and we all have interdependencies. And no more true delegation, no more segregation. It's interesting when we say inclusion and exclusion from racism and nursing, but then we choose as a nurse to segregate and delegate ourselves because a PCT is the only one going to blood pressure. An EVS worker, he or she is the only one can wipe something. Is that not segregation in and of itself? It is. Same right? It's just interesting. It's, it's the dynamics. I'm, so five years, I'm going to stop. I'm going to know what I did in four years at the fifth year and figure out where I screwed up year three and year two. And maybe year six, seven, and eight, I'm going to do it again. Gotcha. Okay. Then. Hey, man, I'm a, uh, I got to ask you this before we get you on out of here. What's some advice you would give those that want to get into nursing? Write down three statements of why you want to go to nursing and you want to put an envelope. Don't look at it again. Do your prerequisites. Do all those things and open up again and read it and see if it's true. But allow yourself 90 seconds of no bullshit. 90 seconds of true mental mindset and say, am I being truthful or not? Right? And if you're not, you still continue then at least have the insight around why you're not passionate, why this job isn't filling, because you never got into it for the right reasons. If it is true, and those things are still had true to your value, true to who you are, then I say, hey, stick the grindstone. Don't get in the competition. Don't worry about your microbiology score. Don't do all those things. You put your head down, you grind, you get to the grind, you execute and you achieve. And then when you become a nurse, Unfortunately, don't let the generations, the preceptors, the stigma on certain floors sour or taint you. If you walked in, clean mind, clean heart, try to end each shift that way and have empathy for them that feel that way. But just understand you got, you're dealing with moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and real people. Be compassionate. We're fortunate. We can be, we can pay a shitload for a week for what we do compared to everybody else in this world. Right. You got people come out with masters and doctors right now. They're making 150 right out the gate. That's this, this, that, and the other. You're guaranteed your hour lunch, your charting. No, if you work a third week and you're paid, if you're this differential. And, and so, so take that all in. It's a blessing. I don't know. Just figure out the past to your patient. Remember, you know, his name is John and John's sick in a bed and don't, he's not an IV back change. He's not a, a blood pressure check. He's a person that's. He's ill, he's sick, and it's our blessing to make him feel better. So what I would say to advice to a nurse coming in, lead with compassion, lead with humility, educate yourself constantly, never give up on the passion of education and never take, never take status quo as okay. And be part of something better than yourself. That's why I would, that's why I would want myself as a nurse today. That's all right. That's all right. Good sound advice. Good sound advice. Hey, man, we're going to try to go ahead and get you out of here. I do like to ask some uh, rapid-fire questions at the end. Yep. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and get started on that. When you're riding into KP, man, what do you like to listen to on your radio? J45. Hey, what kind of music do they play? Seriously, I like J45. No, I, I don't know. What... That's all hip-hop. Oh, it is hip-hop. Okay. All right. What, who's your favorite artist then? I'm going to go with Generation, J. Cole from North Carolina, 
Ooh, I probably have to go King Los. Okay. Another freestyle. I, you know, you got some Drake, got some other stuff that would give you a theme song, right? But if you're going to come from a to rap, I do King, King Los and J. Cole right now. God. Who in the hell's beating up on the freestyle? Ain't much. Mm-mm. J. Cole's North Carolina. Ain't much. Uh, J. Cole's kind of cold. But I will flip from there a little bit of, um, I don't know, uh, a little bit of soul. Sometimes some country. Sometimes, you know, whatever I'm filming. Sometimes it's just CNN. And other times it's podcasts. I like podcasts. I like, um, right now I'm watching Ian Crit, uh, Critical Care, a free leadership podcast I like, um, The Why with Simon. There's a couple of things I like to listen to. Depends on what my brain's at. Gotcha. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, man. So uh, tell me some things that you like to do since uh, since the pandemic started. I like the garden. Garden, wow! You got a green thumb. What you like uh, to What you like to plant? I'm trying to work on plants right now. Just trying to make my kangaroo paws or some of my succulents grow. I'm trying to figure out what can leave you know the, through a freeze, not live through a freeze. What needs to be fertilized? How to get my water table down? I'm sampling. I'm trying to figure out. God, it's still it's still wet, still dry. I'm on my phone all the time, checking my system out. I like uh, I like plants. I like green. I like growth. I like like stuff, right? You like you know nature. It's the Santa Cruz coming out of your tree hook. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Okay. Hey, name one thing you would tell your younger self. Don't compete with a Smith and Jones. Mm. It's about just because you came from nothing, Rich, doesn't mean you're judged by what you have. You never came from nothing. You were a person even when you had nothing. You have something now, but you are the same person. Never do it. Just because you were that person that a couple bucks your pocket and your friends were blessed with parents and had cars this and the other and pay for school. So therefore, you spent this time in your 30s trying to create wealth and buy things that just made you more ugly. Don't do it. You're better than that. What I, I got to ask you, what life experience made you... Uh come to that conclusion i guess i've met a lot of people in this world and god frankly some of them homeless and some of them barely homeless and some of them super wealthy and they're all the same dicks they're all the same wonderful people <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest with oh. you shit man these people are the same they're the same it's just different levels <laughs> they're the same right? stuff battling the same stuff other than the mental health you know issues with some of our homeless population but for the most part everybody was having the same damn conversation just on and I said, what's it all about? What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? You. I got you. Okay, Dale. Hey, thank you for that because uh, I needed it because I come from nothing. And, uh, I have moments where I, I, I feel like I'm something. At the end of the day, it really don't matter. I, I, I'm starting not to care anymore. I'm kind of losing it. Kind of losing it for real. <laughs> But, uh, hey, man, I'm going to go ahead and try to get you on out of here. Uh, name one nurse that should be on my show. And if you name one, you got to help me get her. Don Wiggy. Don Wiggy. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. What, what did he do? Uh, it's a female. And she was a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. What about, no, you're good. It was one of my big mentors at uh, North Bay uh, Trauma. She's, she's everything from a beach. She has beekeeper. She raises sheep and cows. She was a... <laughs> a trauma crew for 20 years, flew, but she's just so first in the world. Mm, and nursing you. is just a pie. You'll, she'll say nursing is just a pie, but then she'll tell you nursing is everything. She nurses a sheep. She nurses a bee. She nurses her family. She nurses her checkbook. 
She nurses her car. She nurses everything that she does. Wow. I didn't think about it like that. I always thought about nursing as, you know, you just take care of human beings. I didn't think about the other part. That's it. And if you're a true nurse, you nurse everything. It's the same way. It's a right. approach. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Wow. Okay, then. Hey, thank you for that. Hopefully we can get her on the show and uh, we'll go for now. Hey, I want to thank you for taking our time and your busy schedule, man. Um, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, do you have any social media handles? No. But you have my number. Hey, I got your number. I got your number. Hey, man. I, no, I, I'm on LinkedIn. They can find me on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, then. So if you if you enjoyed yourself, uh, you enjoyed listening to this episode. Absolutely. Hey, reach out to Mr. Rich uh, Kimball on LinkedIn. And uh, I want you to share this episode with your friends and family. And hey, you've been locked into another episode of Understanding the Nurse Game podcast. Thank you.